Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Don. What's going on? Well, you know what? Not a whole lot. I'm just continuing to plug along um, on all the projects we um, for, for Aspire EDU. We've been trying. We, we made that change to where we split out all the databases. Yeah. Um, and we, um, we hadn't decreased the plan on the original database. So we were still incurring all the costs we'd incurred originally. We had just added to it. Um, yeah. And part of what we had hoped was that we could make this change without there being significant financial impact. Um, we downgraded the database plan earlier this week um, to one step lower saw a little bit of performance issues the first couple of days, but that seems to have smoothed out. So I think it may have just been needing to catch up and, and get all the indexes in the right places and things like that. So um, I think we're okay there. Uh, conclusion is that we, we made a change to improve performance and yeah. it's more expensive. Okay. That's, you know what, that, that, tends to make sense. We may have, yeah, we may have gone a step too far because what we did is instead of splitting that database into two and just, just going that route, we split it into three, um, which means there are some costs that just tripled. There's some little pieces of, of Heroku that just sig- tripled because they're not, um, they're not billed by the minute, or if they are billed by the minute, it doesn't matter because we use it all the time. So um, I think we, I think in the end it was the right thing. I think I didn't do a good job of projecting the the financial impact yeah. um, and, and communicating the financial impact. So I mean, is there a <laughs> is there a manual out there for multi tenant scaling on Heroku, like? No, I don't think so. No, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's where people start leaving um, Heroku and setting up their own server on AWS. I mean, even though you're right. on AWS, I don't, I don't know. I just haven't seen like people talk about multi-tenant scaling with discussions around sharding databases or splitting up databases and stuff, but I don't know that they talk about the hosting component of it in the cost component. So you're still kind of on your own unless I am missing some source of great knowledge around that. No, no, I I think you're right. And I think nothing was a surprise. It took me actually digging in to each, each individual cost and looking across it all and going, okay, what, what's going on here? I mean, (laughs) I did make an initial mistake and I took the, month that we the month before we made the split and then this month and ma- tried to make those cost comparisons and cost comparisons were way out of whack we were like in in some cases we were four times what we were before the the split and i'm like yeah something something's weird here and and what i eventually figured out was the month before the split was still in summer and because we're an educational analytics solution, we don't have as much usage in the summer. So it makes perfect sense that our costs were lower during yeah. the summer. So I went back to the spring, pulled a month from there, compared it now. It was a little more um, at least explainable um, once once I did that. So what's going on over your way? I was on the roof of my house yesterday um, troubleshooting ice damming on a roof <laughs> no um, you're supposed to be on your roof hanging lights that's what you're supposed that, to be. that's that was that's a good idea um but what happened was a blizzard hit on sunday i didn't move to kansas city for the for the winter for the warm winters but, I was going to say, didn't you move out of Chicago? Wasn't that one of the reasons to move out of Chicago? <laughs> it was more like the reason, the weather reasons for Chicago was because April and May are horrible in Chicago. And 
Um, they improved greatly in Kansas City, but we definitely got hit with an early blizzard that literally, like when I looked out the window, the boat, our boat and dock was just jumping up and down um, based on the white caps that was on the lake. Uh, there was a boat and a dock literally three spots down from ours that broke away from the seawall and floated down to the end of the lake still attached the, the boat and the dock it was really that rough um this blizzard that came through but we got three feet of snow and so but it didn't last that it didn't stay around that long except that our roof faces east and by the time that it warms up the sun is already leaving our roof so now we got a layer of ice near the gutter and our biggest thing here is trying to prevent water, like mitigating water around the house. And so I'm looking out the window yesterday, needed to be coating stuff. And I see water dripping over the gutter. And then I go on a ladder and I just see this sheet of ice all over the east side of the roof. So we got up on, <laughs> my wife and I, without a true ladder, we borrowed a ladder from next door with a hose and string to get it on the roof. Um, we basically water blasted routes for the water to drain to basically sections of the gutter that um, weren't frozen over. So so it was just, uh, as I said to Megan, I was like, I don't think that future projects are going to require this kind of ingenuity for what we're doing. <laughs> but um we're going to have to learn how to do this the easier way. So we're already like, I'm looking at ladders to buy and wires to put on the roof for, uh, for ice dam prevention and stuff like that. But it's just one of those, you, you asked me before the show, how's the new house? And I'm just like thinking I'm doing a lot more troubleshooting than I expected. And not, I understand when you buy a house, you have maintenance. Like you're, I'm walking, I, I left the world of condo management where I just reach for a contractor because there's a big budget, but it's more of, you're just troubleshooting little things. Um, and my mom, my parents came in town and my mom did a lot of little fixes for us because she's a home remodeler and we were just kind of in awe of all the stuff we learned in that just a few days of her going around and looking at tweaks to make. So yeah, that's been my life has been low on new code and high on home improvement, um, which I'm not going to switch into that career. I'm really happy with the coding. See, I <laughs> seem to, I see, it's just less, less stressful and I'm, I don't have to like actually put myself at risk falling off of a roof. I can turn off a server and reboot it. You know, that, that's pretty easy to me. So. Well, I tell you what, if you get if you get any better at this, we'll move you into commercial maintenance and then we'll open a, a Kansas City branch of construction specialties and you can do commercial maintenance for us there. How's that? I've seen the pictures on the Ch chasm feed. I don't know that I have any knowledge of half the stuff that you are, <laughs> are maintaining. A lot of it's bad concrete. That's what I've noticed. Like a lot is bad concrete. <laughs> And I've told I'm I'm staying away from that. I'm hiring someone for that. Let me tell you. Um, so, I, I tell you, it's 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 funny. It's funny you talking about ice damming. I'm like you're talking a different language because I have no concept what that even means because we don't get that sort of thing down here. So. But I also have trees basically right behind and over the house, so you do deal with branches falling into your pool, and I get to deal oh, with. Yeah. I get to deal with both ice damming and branches now. So I get it. I have the whole shebang over here. But uh, at least I don't have alligators that might be in my pool when I wake up in the morning. That much <laughs> I'm fairly feel good about. Um, so about the show, what are we talking about? Um, while we were gone right before Thanksgiving... They, I think there was the, the survey that has been going out for the last three years that I've paid a good attention to is the State of JS um, survey. And 
I like we we of course talked about React, and it definitely has been a popular subject on both of our podcasts, this old app and CTO Think. To the point that every time I say React, I think you should superimpose or add on an audio of a cha-ching. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure how hard that is for you to do, but if I just say React, 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 you should just have that cash register sound going. I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but the the point here is not to milk the React um, discussion, but JavaScript remains a key industry mover in the application development and web space. So the survey came out and I wanted to talk about it with you on a management level, not a let's talk about the frameworks from a, you know, difficulty perspective or the features perspective, more about how should a manager or a tech leader take the survey results and what should they think about um, as a result of them, if sure. that makes sense. So, I mean, I guess I've, you know, took some notes from what I observed on these results and actually let's, let me, uh, who the heck did this survey because I need to um, give credit to the peer. So, the team of the JavaScript survey, who they put a lot of work into this, so I don't want to just like say, here's a survey, blah, blah, blah. It's uh, Sasha Grief. Greif um, is the leader, pretty much of it. And then a person named Raphael Bennett, who did the visualizations and data analysis, and Michael Rambeau, who did the writing and additional statistics. So there's a, probably other people that have been involved, but Sasha has been the person that I've seen the name associated the most with. If you want to go see the survey, just go to stateofjs.com, all one phrase. And then from there, you can look at different years, which I think goes to 2016, 17, 18. Let me look at that real quick. That sounds right. That's what it yeah. looked. That's what they looked. That's what they pulled for the historical uh, data. Yeah. So, <clears throat> at the very beginning, the the comments I want to make about this survey is that the the sample. I guess let's talk about the sample size first. Twenty yeah. thousand. Twenty thousand people, roughly, reply to the survey. Whether right. that whether that constitutes a an adequate sample size for the number of developers in the world, I say doubtful. Um, whether you know if it's JavaScript focused, it's even if you want to get a full idea of the entire tech sphere and how this survey plays out, probably doubtful too. But I would say that three years running, they've been doing this. Um, consistently. So I don't want to discount it for the sample size. I just think that it's perhaps not very indicative of the wider picture of um, non JavaScript developers. So, you know, well, that, that, that's for, yeah, that's for sure. And surveys in and of themselves are self-selective. Um, yeah. you, you have to be in the mood to fill out a survey. You have to complete a survey, things like that. Um, that said, I, I was actually a little surprised that only 25% of the survey, um, respondents were from the United States that, that, oh, yeah. that number felt low. So that, that in, in and of itself, that helped feel that it at least got a fairly decent global feel of it, um, of those who responded anyway. Yeah, but the, the other, the, the other, next, the other, the other. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, the the next highest percentage of a country was five percent in Germany. So yeah, so I agree with you for the fact that the survey was is only in English and largely distributed to probably email lists in the United States. Twenty five percent seems low for the United States, but it's also dominant compared to any other country. Like. Sure. Fair, fairly dominant. Um, the other demographic notes, 32% uh, 
of the respondents were with firms of 100 plus employees. So you're not just talking about startups, like a good chunk of people had were in firms that are bigger than just two to three people in a room coding on something. So that's nice. The, in terms of um, 18,000 of 20,000 are gender, are gender identified as male. So, yeah. So now that's not necessarily, it's not, I don't, I'm not blaming the survey for this. It's, probably more indicative of the um, technology world in general than to say that the survey um, is biased or anything, but it's more of like, that is a big leaning number in in that area. But uh, other than the demographics, um, the other things to the changes across from year to year for 2018 to 2017 it's pretty big. If you, I think if you were to take a survey like this and put it in the Ruby world or the C sharp world or the um, not Python, but the C sharp or Ruby or um, Java, you would not see changes of frameworks and libraries this, as drastic as you see between 2016, 17 and 18 because JavaScript. Sure. And we've talked about this before. JavaScript is just, it is not a stable platform. It is moving fast and furiously, and it's... well, I'm 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 going to stop you for a second. Yeah, because I want to change your word. You said it's not a stable platform. Would 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 you be comfortable saying it's not a static platform? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, because yeah. stable makes it sound negative, and I'm not sure that's uh, where you were going with that. No, no, I wasn't going. I wasn't going negative. Um, yeah, it's not a static platform. It, I think it might depend on who, what company you are and what you depend on for stability Agreed. and changes. But yeah, you're, it's, it's not static by any means. I think the Ruby, if you were to do this survey for the Ruby world for the last three to four years, it'd be pretty much the same amongst the people that are answering. So that's... Well, not only that, yeah, the... the there's one question in the survey that that says the JavaScript ecosystem is changing too fast. Yeah. And the amount of people who agreed with that in general actually went down this year. So JavaScript developer or people who answered this survey don't feel like the it's changing too fast. Um, is is the way I would I would interpret those results. <laughs> I I would like to have one of those questions be uh, of the opinion section. Is JavaScript exhausting you? And that I just want to see. <laughs> <laughs> strongly agree. Dis- strongly disagree. I want to see if anyone just says it's exhausting because that's the way sometimes I felt. Um, it's also exciting. I like it. I'm not trying to diss it. It's just more of. If you just try to pay attention to it all the time, I think you can get a bit um, strung out. But the other yeah. other other two na- notes about the um, I don't remember this from last year, but they have a now a conclusion section called assess, adopt, avoid, analyze. This sure. this follows what is it Gartner Group? They used to do a right. text survey that kind of followed those four quadrants. I don't know how right. accurate they are, and they're still opinion based. But um, it was—it's an interesting that, that if any manager needed to breeze through this survey, I think the conclusion sections is where they're going to go. Um, if you don't want to yeah, look at and, the data, go ahead. And to be clear, you're not—you're not talking about in in the left hand bar. There's a area that says conclusion. You're talking no. about within each within each section. If you were to hit JavaScript flavors or yeah. frameworks, there's a conclusion for each section. Yes. And that is a really useful um, tool to take a look at and, and get at least a feeling of of what's hot and, and what, what maybe just isn't catching on, that sort of thing. Yep. And so the other, the other note before we jump into some of these sections is that there is a quadrant or a section for a lot of these groups around salaries. And I truly don't know how to make, I don't know how to make any sense of it other than it seems like 
JavaScript developers are making between 50K and 150K. And it doesn't, I can't, I haven't looked at, I haven't been able to look at the results and actually say, oh yeah, people using this framework are making Buku dollars and people using this are making less. It's just the way that this, that they put out the salary results doesn't make any sense to me unless someone explains it better. And I just don't have time to or care really. So, yeah, I, I would tell you a really interesting section to dive into is within each of the, the subsections. Yeah. Um, looking at the salary breakdown by framework and then looking at the experience by framework. And what you're finding is that usually the higher, because there were some that it just didn't make sense that people were making a lot of money based on like closure. Yeah. Um, it, that, that one jumped out at me. And then I scrolled down and look at that closure is also where there's most years of experience. So it's one of those where I think there's a little bit of bias bias is the wrong word, but, um, bias within the, the results to where, well, this person's making more and they, they liked closure or, or closures is the highest salary so to speak yeah. oh but it's also where people with the most experience are are so that that leads to more money more experience more money i went to a closure script meetup once and i thought based on the way people talked and held themselves it was an elitist coding group of people bored <laughs> of people that were bored with whatever tools they had at work they were all extremely bright you could tell that the room was full of people that probably are ex, you know, exceptional engineers, but they were all choosing a rather harsh syntax to code in um, based on what I've seen. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it makes sense to me that these are the results, but it is a very small subset of people doing it. And they are maybe they're choosing a tool because it fits their intellectual approach. I don't know. Anyway, let's go into um, the first section: JavaScript flavors. Yeah. So my notes on this is pretty. I was. I'm not really surprised when they overall the top flavors of JavaScript code they're covering are ES6. TypeScript, Flow, and Reason, which are also TypeScript type of approaches. Elm, which I always thought of as a framework, but I guess maybe because it compiles to JavaScript, they consider it a flavor. Um, it does have its own unique syntax of sorts. And then there's ClojureScript, which we just kind of mentioned. Um, yeah. You know, ES6 by far is 86% people say they've used it and would use it again. So, you know, from that standpoint with ES6, what do you take away as a manager for the seeing that? If you came in and you're just trying to learn what should your team be using from a tool standpoint in JavaScript, like I take it as that is a main, like ES6 is mainstream. No matter, is yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, and anything you're doing, and you, you need to be if you're not using ES6, probably time to start moving over to it. Um, and, and pick up a lot of the things that are there. And I think you're gonna see that just about anybody you're hiring probably has ES6 knowledge. Um, I think TypeScript falls in the same category. Yeah, um, it's not as strong, but the trend is stronger um, almost. I was surprised that, at the TypeScript number forty six. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and the slope of it, the slope. I mean, ES six is fairly flat from last year to this year. Um, the slope of TypeScript, though, the, the the amount of people who are using it and enjoying it or or want to use it. Um, is a significant uh, upward growth. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think if you are a manager and you are looking at what, sh what basic JavaScript should my team be using, you're definitely looking at ES6 as a kind of 
should be that it should be used. Your recruiting, like who you're recruiting, will know it. Um, who you're recruiting may expect it because part of it is if you bring people in and and they are all of a sudden forced to use pre ES6 only, they may look at you as now you are really behind. You know whether that matters to you as a manager is a different thing, but sure. sure. But I like that's one of those things where if you're not using TypeScript. I think you can get away with that. ES6 is really pushing it. And even for teaching at the coding oh, camp, yeah. I would expect that they're starting to move to ES6 as the base that they're teaching people. Um, right. Flow and re- Reason is new. Um, Elm has never caught on at the, the pace they thought it would. Flow, I just don't hear enough about as a mainstream. TypeScript is really just... The bigger companies are promoting it. Um, I think it's worth considering if your team is coming from Java. If you like, depending on what space you're in, your team, like considering TypeScript is definitely uh, a worthwhile consideration for a manager with how their team is approaching using JavaScript tools. Um, Sure. Anything else that you kind of gathered from that section? No, the only thing that that I found um, interesting, and I'm not sure, I don't blame the the survey authors because I'm not sure how else you ask this question because I think it is its only existence, is there's really no mention of Node in in this JavaScript flavors category. The only mention of it is in the other libraries. Hmm. Um, And that was just where, where people might have typed the word Node. Um, they pulled it out. So um, again, they they can't compare Node against other things. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's probably why it's not in there. But the and and we'll talk a little bit later when we get the back end frameworks about about that. But yeah. um, okay. But no, as far as flavors, no. I I think reason reason might be the one that's going to show up here and and we're going to have to start paying attention to Um, just because again, it's, it's from Facebook Um, and and Facebook brought us react, brought us GraphQL is reason the next thing. And And the, the person building reason was the builder of react. So sure. That doesn't mean it'll take off, but it's got the people involved that know how to, do stuff so all right so now get the cash register going because we're going into the front end framework discussion and we start off with the dominant 64 percent of people that responded said that they have used react and would use it again and only and then there's another 20 percent that say they've heard of it and would like to use it there's only like 10% overall that says they are not interested in React and they are driving themselves off a cliff of not being popular. But the it's the dominant framework. It's by... For like, sure. Nothing stands out quite like that. Um, I think the next telling item was that view is at 28.8%. And they are ahead of Angular, which has been around before React, before any of these frameworks, really. Angular is taking a step back to view somewhat. Sure. So that's probably the more telling is the view Angular um, comparison. Well, and, and, and they're... they're... They're slightly different, right? They, they, they do different things, but the, the, uh, we've talked about this before, whether it was here or, or this old app is my feeling is that a lot of the, a lot of the syntax that view uses feels very angular-ish. Yeah. So it's possible that angular developers are starting to see view as the next step to, to take, um, in their, in their front end work. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the point that everybody's making about this survey is the 33% of people who say they've used angular and would not use it again. Yeah. Um, 
that that is, I believe, the largest percentage in this whole survey of people who have used something and would not use it again. Yeah. And again, I think that's a case of. I think there's a couple things going on there. One, I think it's a case of it aging um, and people see that React and Vue are better solutions than Angular. So yeah, and, and Angular was huge, right? Just two years ago, Angular was huge. Yeah. Um, so there are plenty of people who've used it, but now that they see that there are alternatives, they're saying, well, no, I wouldn't use Angular again. I'd use I'd use React. Google, um, Google kind of screwed up the Angular upgrade from a from a public relations standpoint, I don't know if the code is better or worse, but the messaging was never consistent. And it just seemed like big company takes over a popular framework that people are doubtful about anyway. They haven't really made it better. And people in the Angular community feel rejected by the new custodian. That's the way I always gathered it. And that could be just bad perception on my part, but I feel like that 33% comes from not just the code, but it comes from public relations. But that's just an observation. But that could be some of, some of the reading I did about that those Angular results. Um, Angular defenders were were of the opinion that this was more a. a a statement on Angular 1 because they felt Angular 2 fixed a lot of the problems in Angular and that people just never got to Angular 2. So it kind of fits your point that the PR of Angular 2 never got out there well. Yeah. Um, but again, you've got you've got a Googler, an ex-Googler who did view, which, which I'm positing is kind of the replacement. Yeah. So if I'm a leader looking at these results... If I have Angular as my company's core JavaScript, I'm actually not that worried looking at this. No, I, st- I still no, have I still have roughly 30% of JavaScript people still using or having used it or interested in it. So I'm not that worried and I don't see a need to leave Angular if you already have invested a lot of time, money and education of your team. In Angular, it's not. I'm not in a panic mode, like on at this point. If I'm starting from scratch, where with a team or building new products, and I'm looking to to eventually move, then at least from my standpoint, React and Vue are your one and two choices. And yeah. I, yeah, that 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 that's fair. The only thing I would I would add is, even if you have an existing uh, Angular project, um, be prepared to that that you're just going to start hearing a lot of people going, "Why are we still in Angular?" Um, yeah, and and as time goes on, that you're going to get additional pressure within your technical team to move, um, probably to React. You could make an argument for Vue. Um, I'm not starting with Ember. I'm not starting with Preact. Preact was kind of grown, if I remember right, out of the the bad language of the license for React. I mean, Preact is essentially React without the crappy Facebook patent lawsuit thing. And then Polymer is, I just don't know. I can't remember what it's used for. Um, like why it's still there. So to me, if you're going down that path, React and Vue are your best choices um, to consider based on what we're seeing there. And you're going to have the kind of the, if you're trying to hire JavaScript developers, they're likely going to be in those two camps um, for what they want to, tools they want to use. So that's what I kind of gathered from it. And let me see the uh, the other th- notes. Oh, yeah. So one of the questions I always get from younger developers and managers, like in, when I talk to experienced senior developers, no one asks me this question. But younger developers, people trying to learn JavaScript, and then managers have, have asked me, is WebAssembly going to take over and replace JavaScript. 
That's mm, mm-hmm. because both parties are always making bets on what do I invest my career in and what do I invest my team's learning in. And sure. basically, WebAssembly and this survey barely registered as a framework to even like the people even know or have like any interest in. It's like on this, it's on the extra sidebar of this whole um, front framework section. So, Frank, but but is WebAssembly even really a JavaScript thing? No, but I guess people put it in there because it is a front end framework. And it works in the same, like, I guess the idea is it works in browsers or most. Yeah, I just, I, I don't think it came up in this survey. I think you're right that, that um, I, I did see a lot of, I mean, whenever you hear people complain about JavaScript, that that's always the next step. So I'll go back to what, uh, I'll let you finish your point about young, younger uh, developers and that sort of thing. Uh, just um, how you answer them. Oh, I just tell them, <laughs> I basically tell them until I start hearing about it with tutorials and learning and usage from people in the community, I just don't even consider it a player. I, I could not invest any time or money into it myself, and I wouldn't do that for a company I'm working for. So right. I, that's just the answer I give both parties in that case. And then if you look at their conclusions, let's see. Of course, React is on the very far right of the adopt quadrant. Vue is still on the assess versus adopt. But um, Ember and Polymer are in the avoid, which is pretty strong for Ember. Because I Ember was one of those that I expected because of the team involved to be a big player. And it seems like they, yes. they're just being kind of minimalized. So it's kind of sad because I love the team, but it just did not take off as a framework like um, people were hoping. So but anyway, uh, are we done with it? You got another point about the front end stuff? No, not about the front end, not at all. Okay. So then we go to the data layer. And I, of course, on previous episodes of both shows, kind of said Redux with an eye roll. Um, but it is a player on the data layer by far. Like it's basically 47% used it and would use again. Another 27% say that they uh, would like to learn it. It is the next highest is 20% of used it is GraphQL. So in terms of data state management layer, it is a pretty, Redux is the winner. Um, well, but Redux has been, I mean, MobX has been there a while. I would say Redux is the winner over MobX. Yeah. Um, say it's way too early to 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 feel that it's a winner over graphql apollo um it's it, i i think you just have history working in the favor of redux there but they're not even um, is graphql and redux even comparable they're not even doing the same not, thing not really they're not really doing the same thing um and and that's why that's why i'm going is is redux and MobX are 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 comparable yeah um so Redux is the winner there because I think it was kind of the only thing you could use. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, we, but I think the 10% that say they would not use Redux again kind of gets back to bolstering the point of sometimes it's overused. Well, the, the I think the bigger point for a tech manager in this particular section is if you need a state management tool for your apps. Redux is by far the most predominant. MobX is next. Relay is actually the first one. That's Facebook's approach, I think, or they were first one. But the right. but the bigger question that a manager has to think of is, do I need this at all? Because I talked to a, a friend of mine who runs a team at a fairly big media company and he was like, I have been fighting off engineers that want to use Redux because it's overkill for what we're trying to do. And so I, he's like, I'm sure. preventing that. So I think what you have to assess 
as a tech manager is whether you need this tool and then which, if you do need it, which one are you going to use? And Redux is kind of the stronger one. GraphQL is definitely, to me, a different... I mean, I still look at GraphQL as a back-end um, tool for the most part for um, for data you know, requests and stuff, but I just don't know why it fits in this in this section other than yes, it's data layer, but no, it's not remotely the same as state management on a front end app. So it's a little quirky section that you have to kind of redux is way over the adopt, um, avoid relay, which I don't even, I've never even looked at to know, but I guess I'll agree with them on that. And then GraphQL and Apollo are on fire. I get the fire icons. Um, let's see. Next section is backend frameworks. And I get asked a lot by people. Go ahead. Go ahead. I get at, this is another one that I get asked by people, people that are, that I was interviewing with would ask me what I was using, not to judge me necessarily, but just like, what the heck should we be using? Um, and so express is the dominant, like, it is so dominant. <laughs> it's it's laughable that they that Express didn't just have its own section. Like, how are you using Express? Because it's sixty four percent, and the next one is eight point six. Like, that's just sure. crazy town difference in the in the group. Um, I have never used Next.js. I know it's new on the scene. Like last year, where was it? Oh, they didn't, they didn't have enough data to compute it. It's so new. But the um, Express from 2017 to 2018 basically changed 5%. It was, this, it was dominant the year before. I'm sure 2016 was the same. So... Yeah, and it probably it, again, it's it's a case of being the only thing there, right? Yeah. And so if I guess the... <laughs> If you're a manager looking at, okay, we want to, we only want to hire JavaScript devs to the full stack. We're going to use a backend. We want to use a framework for the backend. I mean, Express is almost the crazy, it'd be almost crazy to use a different one unless you had developers that had a, a good experience with the next KOA or COA, Meteor, Sales. They're all just like blips on the on the percents and i've i tried to explore this at one time when we were talking about chasms i looked at koa and sales especially sales because it seemed like oh we love rails and we're doing this javascript and it's just like man the uh, the percentage of adoption is just so small i just don't want to buy into this and so i didn't and that's what I'm, I guess my concern as a manager is if I adopt, if I commit to one of these backend pieces other than Express, where does that leave me with the low adoption rates? Um, well, and, and they're, they're both fairly new. Um, so, so it's hard to make a, a judgment just yet. Um, I do think. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next year between Next.js and Koa. Um, Next.js has the backing of the React team, right? It is the React backend framework is is the idea. It is? That's the whole idea behind it. I believe so. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> let me look. Let me, let me see if I'm way off on that, but I get the feeling it, it, is, it is the React framework. Um, who? No, it's not. It's a different company. It's Zeet. Okay, so this is the same company that makes that now um, the now um, now JS deployable. So I did. I, I wasn't trying to say it is. Okay, so I did say it was the React. Um, but what I what I'm trying to get at is, I, I have a feeling that next is is meant to work directly with react okay that yeah. they're meant to go hand in hand koa on the other hand um is really it's it's 
built, it's designed by the team who designed Express. Mm. Um, so I, I wonder if this is that next version of Express almost. Yeah. To where, to where it's going to be a lot more async based and, and a lot less callback based. So I want to see what happens over the next year between COA and, and next. I would say from a management level, don't make any decisions. Assess it um, that t- or, or not assess. What was the terminology they use? Um, yeah, assess, yeah, assess, assess yeah. what's going on with those. See, see what's see which one's catching fire, see what the adoption rate is and, and go from there. Cause right now they're co and next are fairly even. Now the, I've seen a lot more of the, of the, I've worked with now JS before, which is the same Zeke company, which is the same one that does, does. Next. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've played with that and there, there's some positive things there for sure. Um, but that's just generally my feeling. On I, I I will say to the Zeet people, using next and now for your framework names is just a little bit like, come on, because <laughs> when you start talking about next and now, I'm just like, it doesn't sound right as brand names for a framework. Um, in the sense of trying to have a discussion about it, it makes it hard. But beside that point, sure. Um, I guess my assessment of this. Oh, one note, serverless is not included. So AWS Lambda, Google Firebase Functions, Google Cloud Functions, uh, Cloudflare Workers, uh, all those, all these new approaches to doing kind of single value or single request type of um, code bases on a, where you don't handle anything on the server side. Those are not included here, but even the survey said we might start needing to keep track of this because it's growing pretty at a fast clip. But the thing about Express, and this is what I talked to students um, about and managers that talked to me about Express, um, you're, everyone's winging it. When you, Express is like Sinatra in the Ruby world and Flask in the Python world, a very flexible, loose approach to building a backend request response server. And you can pretty much do anything you want. There's not a ton of conventions that people follow compared to what Rails and Django have. And so Express, there's tons of examples, but I have yet to see conventions in the Express space that are consistent across different tutorials or um, projects. So sure. people, and it's really as simple as where do you put certain, like, do you, do you, do you use controllers? Do you, what do you name your folders? What do you do for managing services that you add on? How do you, how do you organize plugins? Like, how, how is your index.js root file managed or organized? Like everybody has a different approach. And so if you get into this space, if you're looking for the right way to do it, you can find that with Django. You can find those answers with Rails. You're not going to find it with Express. Yeah, for sure. That That's certainly one of those things is, as I was poking through different projects, I would find, um, I would I would start with one of the example projects and it had folder structure one yeah. way. And then I'd go do a d- different one and it had folder structure a different way. And I'm like, okay, which way is the right way? And the answer was, there's not really a right way. Yeah. There's just well, I will say that the way I do it is the best way. And I think I can get away with saying that because no one can really argue with it. Um, so, there you go. So that that's where I feel better as a manager, is my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, I mean, the, the takeaway is that Express is dominant and your team has to kind of learn as they go and be try to be as consistent. If you have multiple Express apps, set up something in-house for how you manage and how you organize things and be conf- be, yeah, be confident sure. that you're not, there's not some other way out there that 
if you bring in new people that they are going to have, oh, everyone else is doing express this way. It's like, nope, everybody's doing it the way that their team is doing it. Just try to be consistent across your own applications is what I'd probably recommend. Yeah. For um, sure. The next section is testing. Uh, what seems to be indicative of this, and they mentioned this in the conclusions, is that this is all over the place. Um, Jest, I was surprised, is actually at the top at 39.6, but Mocha is what I expected to be the winner, is at 39.5. So Jest and Mocha and Jasmine is a little bit lower, um, to about 10% lower. Those are the top three testing frameworks in JavaScript. Uh, Mocha is the oldest. Jasmine is the next oldest. Jest is a, is the React team and the Facebook team's version. The other ones listed were Enzyme, which is a subset tool of the testing. Karma is a test runner, I think. Storybook, I'm not, I haven't used that yet. And Ava, I haven't used, but basically... I mean, I would probably go with Jest myself if I'm starting out with testing. But if I'm in the Mocha world, most I feel like Mocha is the one that has always been the most stable. Um, but Jest is just the big winner right now. The popular, the, the most popular over the last three years is Jest in terms of growth. But that's all. Yeah, and. And I think what you're seeing, it, it, the, the answer of it being all over the place is reflected in the conclusion, yeah. right? Um, five of them are over in the adopt area. Okay, that doesn't really help me pick. Yeah. Um, uh, when, when, you look at, when you look at these charts, you try and pick the one that sits along that, that upper right diagonal the most. And Justin Mocha kind of straddle that, that upper right diagonal. And so... Yeah. You're not going to make a wrong choice here, I think. If you choose between Jest, Mocha, and Jasmine, you're going to be. But fine. I think what's just do test. What's, yeah, but I think the other what I was like, what is in the other section, the other other libraries, Nightwatch, Cypress. Like Cypress is the most popular other library, and these aren't integration tests. These are running like headless browsers or browsers and automating the steps so nightwatch does end to end cypress does uh chai is not even chai is just a uh what do you call it? assertion library q units like the oldest of all of them i believe um that's what ember folks were doing when i was using that selenium of course being that low is really interesting because that's the oldest of the integration systems yeah, but again, this 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 other library section is really just what people have typed in. Um, so I I don't that there, there's there's interest here in what's yeah. here, but other than that, I'm I'm not going to draw too many conclusions about things that aren't mentioned. Yeah. Um, I, I I think that's a that's an unfair thing to do. All right, we're closer to well, gosh, we still have a lot. Oh. <laughs> well, I guess we do want to speed it up a little. So, well, I, what I want to say about mobile and desktop, yeah. which is the next yep. one, um, you've got Electron and React Native just right yep. there. Okay, you've got Electron for your desktop, you got React Native for your um, mobile, and the the biggest the biggest takeaway from this one is that they included native apps in, in this, meaning building it in Java, Kotlin, uh, Objective C, Swift, that sort yep. of thing. Um, huge downturn in in interest in native this year, and again, this is by this is this is yeah. a survey of JavaScript developers, so have to be careful yeah. here. Um, but it's a huge downturn, probably the largest downturn in the whole survey of what people are using. So, I, what the the feeling I draw from that is people are the JavaScript developers no longer feel they have to do it natively. Yeah. They feel React Native gives them everything they need. That's the conclusion I draw from yep. all this. Yep. Um, the other languages section, uh, Python is the king. 
I mean, 6,000 people reported using it. Well, you say it's the king, but it's only a little bit higher than PHP, which is which is yeah. what I would expect. I, I, I feel JavaScript, PHP are, are your scripting languages, right? Yeah. So I, it's very easy to go from JavaScript to, to PHP and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Python's a little, little different. Um, Java being as far up... It, I, is a little bit of a surprise to me, but especially since it's higher than Ruby, but I guess there still are just more Java uh, in the world than, than but Java. I mean, Java Ruby. and C sharp and stuff are still enterprise level backends. So I'm not surprised. Sure. Python is probably, I, I, I will say, well, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Python is probably popular for the data piece, the analytical piece, the, all the new work that's being generated for data sure. anal- analysis sure. and stuff. And I, I actually, that that's actually, we could have this discussion another time. But when we talk about, it, with Aspire to You, when we talk about looking at hiring people, I almost have to make the distinction to everybody. We're not talking about the data side of Python. We're talking about Django yeah. and other sides of Python because we don't do the data stuff um, yeah. that, that Python has. In it. And really, that's where all the growth in Python's been. That's complete aside, but I, I felt I had to say it. Friend of the uh, podcast, Mark Thompson, will be real happy to see that the Go is, is seventh on this list um, for, for as new as it is. It's, it's at least up there. I thought he was doing Dart uh, and Flutter. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Why did I think he was doing Go? Why did I think he was doing Go? I don't know. <laughs> But he'll be, he's happy to listen to us anyway, so it doesn't... Well, there, I'll fix it. Dart is is third among the JavaScript flavors. Yes. So uh, if we go back up to that section. Um, so in general, um, the, the only other sections were the opinion section, and it's just generally, yay, JavaScript was was what I... What I Drew from that. Well, the other the other um, sections: browser APIs, PWAs gaining steam, service workers b- before progressive web apps gaining steam, WebAssembly not gaining steam. So that goes back into people that are concerned yeah. about WebAssembly somehow beating JavaScript. I just don't think it's going to happen. On the build tools, Webpack is by far the clear leader compared to Gulp and Grunt, which is what I started with. So if I'm in starting a team or investing in build tools, I would probably have my team on Webpack. It just seems to be the strongest one. Uh, you mentioned this on a different podcast when we talked about um, the popularity of React, and you mentioned text editors and VS Code is wow it was a huge difference compared to sublime vim webstorm and atom which were all significantly less used um or mentioned by people yeah this, this is this is the one that made me go back to the 2016 2017 surveys just to see what it said yeah. there um and and previously it was sublime and atom were kind of neck and neck and then just out of the blue all of a sudden more than half the developers are using VS. So, and it's just instant. This is the section that still makes me go, how good is this sample? Because Vim and WebStorm and Sublime have a good still base of users. And I, it's hard for me to think that their numbers are really that low for at least Vim and WebStorm. Um, maybe I'm not thinking of history correct, but... I, the one thing that I'll walk away from is if I'm building up a tech team right now and somebody's trying to tell me that VS Code, like it's free, it's like to me, it doesn't make sense to invest in Sublime from a monetary standpoint. No, um, no, it, it you can't. And Vim is still, you know, people like it. Some people don't. It's always got the jokes that go along with it, but. To me, if I, I want my team kind of using similar tools, if I can if I can make it work, and VS Code is a really strong choice with the text editor. Sure. And, and 
I don't remember. I don't know how this question was asked. I don't know if you were cho- told to pick one or pick the editors you yeah. use. Um, and it, that to me, I can't imagine that as many people are using Vim as use Sublime Text and Atom as their primary JavaScript editor. I I, I have trouble believing yep. that. Um, uh, that said, if it was where you could pick more than one, then it makes complete sense because it, when you're in the command line, you just want to edit something, you pop Vim up and, and go with it. Uh, I, I'm as a former Vim proponent uh, from 10 years ago, uh, it warms my heart to see Vim being, you know, seven times larger than Emacs. <laughs> uh. Yes. <laughs> so overall, if I'm looking at the survey after everything that we just talked about, I'm betting on React and Vue to keep strong through the next year. I'm betting on VS Code as the text editor. TypeScript, I'm looking strongly at using because I have seen the benefits of it myself as a developer and I could foresee it become getting better um, adoption um, in the strongly typed piece of JavaScript. Testing-wise, I'm still pretty open to it, but uh, Mocha and Jest are really the only two I'd kind of consider to use for unit testing. And I guess progressive web apps is what I'm crossing my fingers on. I feel like progressive web apps are still going to make for development teams the easiest, not easiest, the most efficient build and maintenance and deployment process for rich app experiences. And we need Safari and Apple to adopt this stuff to make it really as strong as we want it to be. But that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping the survey next year shows that PWAs are gaining steam because that's, I just feel like our doing react native. I love react native, but dealing with the app store, Apple platform is a inefficiency on application development that I would prefer to see gone. Um, So that's what I'm hoping on. But otherwise, it was a good survey. I I just don't know if the sample is strong enough yet to make huge conclusions. But most of my gut feelings on things fit what the results were here, I guess. Yeah, there were there were there were no surprises. I don't think um, it, it, overall. Um, I, I I I do think it's going to be interesting. I, I I'm I'm now interested. I will say the one thing that this survey makes me want to dig into a little bit more um, is Next versus Coa. Oh yeah, I, I do want to know just a little bit. There's nothing else that makes me go, oh, I should go learn that. Those those are the two that I'm like. Maybe I'll go play with that, especially if Koa is designed by the same people who designed Express. It feels like that'd be an easy transition. So that may be the, the direction I go over yep. next. Um, but that feels like betting on the wrong horse if if next is meant to tie in with React. Yep. So. All right. Well, uh, that's a good hour of survey results discussion. So I think we're good for this week. Um, any listener, listeners, if you like the show, please leave reviews on Apple. I know it's a pain because I, I have a, I don't do it normally um, on other podcasts I listen to, but I'm starting to make an effort because it matters to the rankings. So. Please, we would appreciate it if you like what you're listening to. Go over to Apple and, you know, I don't even think you have to, you don't have to write a review. You can just like click stars and be done with it. Um, that, that makes it a lot easier when you don't have to write yeah. something. So you don't have, yeah, you don't have to write about us. You can just say, I like them this many stars or not. <laughs> and then you can be done with it. But we would appreciate And remember it. <laughs> Remember, if you think Randy is worth two stars and I'm worth three stars, that's a total of five. We'll take stars. it. We will take it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go and check the roof for if the melting has started again, which I'm hoping it melts in the way I want it to. But um, yeah, I wanna go troubleshoot a, a roof. Sounds good. Enjoy. Have fun. <laughs> Later. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week. Thank you.